Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Good morning to all of you at home, cozy in your slippers online. Cheryl, I'm talking to you, a little bit jealous. That's okay. Welcome to 2021. Did you ever think we'd make it? Here we are. So let's start with a pop quiz. You ready? Now, I just told Steve before the service, I didn't want to talk about New Year's resolutions because apparently they're a taboo subject. We talk about them too often. They kind of annoy people. So we're not going to talk about New Year's resolutions. But I am going to ask this question, which is pretty much a New Year's resolution. Are you ready? Fill in the blank. This year, I want to be more what? Kind. I like that answer, Peggy. Anybody else? This year, I want to be more giving. Generous. Yes. Protected from COVID. Yeah, that's a very contemporary one for sure. This year, I want to be more, anybody else? Throw it in the chat. Throw it in the chat. If you're at home, what do you want to be more of this year? Have you ever noticed we all have a gap between where we are and where we should be or want to be? or could be, or where we think we should have been to by this point in life? Have you noticed that there is a gap, there is a blank, and we all think we need to fill it with something, right? There's something that's going to get us from here to here. 2021, by 2022, I want to be, and you fill in your blank. We fill it with all kinds of stuff, don't we? We fill it with fitness, with generosity, with discipline, Whatever it is for you, we fill our blank with something. Now, I don't think anybody in the room would seriously say, you know what, for me, I think I've arrived. <laughs> I, I am where I had hoped to be by this point in life. You know, I, I don't think there's any room to improve. I think I'm there. I think I, think I, I, I do what I want to do, I, I eat what I think I should eat, I, I wake up and I go to bed the times that I should, I treat people the way that I think that I should. I don't think any of us could seriously make that claim. We all have a blank between where we are right now and where we could be, where we should be, where we want to be. It's true for me and, and I'm sure that it's true for you, each one of us has a blank. God's word says a lot about this concept right here and we're going to dig into it. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start there, and I'd like to read right through the passage today. Today we're talking about the blank space, and I want to take a shot at measuring this space for each one of us, kind of like a self-evaluation tool. Where are we at on this spectrum between where we are right now and where we should be, could be, want to be? God says a lot about it. 2 Peter chapter 1, are you ready? We'll go from verse 3 to verse 11. We'll do eight verses. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. I love the wording there. Precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, 
and steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's start in a word of prayer. God, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. God, we thank you that we're not standing on this stage to give opinion or suggestion, but God, we are here to declare your word. Thank you that we have truth to stand on. Thank you that in 2021, we're not left to our own devices, wandering blindly, trying to decide which way to go or where we should be, what goals to set. God, we thank you that your word is clear. God, I pray that this year in 2021, we as Faith Baptist Church would be all about being disciples, making disciples, that you would help us to pursue truth, community, and engagement in all that we do, Father. God, help us to be about nothing else but to see your glory come. We thank you for who you are today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Steve spoke through the book of 1 Peter. Actually, it was last year, wasn't it? Have you used that joke at all? Here, here's a good one that I really like right now. Hindsight is 2020. Isn't that good? Or what about this one? Do you realize that the year that we're in right now is literally called 2021? Like 2020 defeated us, 2020 beat us, 2021? Did you catch that? Is that too punny? Another bad pastor joke? Okay, that's all right. Steve ended 2020 talking about what trials accomplish. I can't think about a more appropriate text and theme to end such a weird year, right? What trials accomplish. And some of the theme that stuck out to me from his message last week is that trials accomplish discomfort. They help us to see that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. You remember that term sojourner that he talked about? It's like my first apartment. I don't know where you're watching from today. Maybe you're in your first apartment. Elsie and I were able to endure our first apartment. We were able to endure the dark burgundy paint on the walls, the lack of sunlight, the dank carpets, the wet closet that made my first five shirts next to the wall made them moldy when we moved out. They were disgusting. We were able to endure the sliding door to the balcony that froze up so bad in the winter that there would be literally a piece of ice in the carpet at the bottom of the floor. I was a little more frugal back then, so we didn't turn the heat up much. But we were able to endure all that because it wasn't our home. It was just a temporary place that we were passing through. We were looking on to our future home. We were watching Realtor.ca. We were saving money. We were planning. We were dreaming. We were driving the streets looking for our family home. It was just a place that we were passing through. How ridiculous would it be to put money into an apartment that you're just going to spend a little bit of time in? Instead, setting our sights, setting our hopes, setting our dreams on the life that is to come. Here's the truth that hit me last week. Comfort isn't our goal. 
Comfort was never the goal. Conformity to Christ is. That's the goal. We're not here to be comfortable. You remember Steve said, what if life just always worked out the way that you wanted it to? What if everything just fell into place? What kind of person would you be? And then Eugene was sitting over here and he said, I wouldn't be the person I am today. We talked about comfort. If we were comfortable, we would just stay right where we're at. Why move? Just stay stagnant. If you're comfortable, if you're enjoying life, if everything's falling in place, what's the pursuit? What's the vision? What's the direction? What do you put your effort into if everything just falls into place? Now, 2 Peter was written just three or four short years after Peter's first letter. We call them epistles because they're letters from the apostles. The apostles are the ones who are face-to-face with Jesus, sent out by Jesus. Peter says at the end of chapter 1 in 2 Peter that he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw his glory. He heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He says, these letters aren't just myths. These words aren't just a myth. It's eyewitness testimony. How can you argue against eyewitness testimony? Now, the purpose of 2 Peter is all about false teaching in the church. When you dig into chapter 2, it focuses right in on the trending false teaching of the day, which was Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that Jesus didn't physically die and physically resurrect, just spiritually He spiritually experienced death and resurrection. It also taught that God is an imperfect being. Now, you know it's false teaching when it questions the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when it questions the holiness of God. They believed that gnosis was the true redemption, special experiential knowledge. Jesus came to give us some special knowledge And in that knowledge was redemption. That's what Gnosticism taught. And it was the false teaching of the day that was working its way into the church. You just need this special knowledge. You just need to increase knowledge. You need to eradicate ignorance. And then you'll be redeemed. They were all about the eradication of ignorance rather than the eradication of sin. That's 2 Peter chapter 2. And that's what most say is the theme of 2 Peter. Now, when you get into chapter 3, Peter talks about this theme from 1 Peter about being sojourners, just passing through. This world is not our home. This world and the wickedness thereof will be punished by a just and righteous God, and then a new heaven and a new earth will take its place. We're just passing through, and we're awaiting the life that is to come, eternity in the presence of God. That's chapter 3. But today, we're going to focus in on chapter 1. All right, so that's just a really quick overview. If I lost you, come on back. A new year is a reminder of this blank space, isn't it? Am I the person that I had hoped to be in 2021? How far have I come? Now, when Peter introduces himself, if you're looking at 2 Peter, look at the first three verses. Peter puts it in writing. He publishes the fact that he is a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And his greeting is peace and grace. Grace and peace from our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's come a long way from the scared fisherman who denied Jesus in front of a servant girl. Now he's putting into writing 
The fact that he identifies with Jesus as a servant of Jesus, as an apostle of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus. Think about how far Peter has come. Now, let's dig into some of these verses a little deeper. 2 Peter verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God's glory is always the purpose. It's always the focus. It's always the end result. But notice that word power. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us, that's the second time we're hearing that phrase, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's salvation. Salvation. God has granted to us his power, and he's granted to us his promises. You today have access and invitation to God's power and God's promises. And that was another run-on sentence by the apostles that Steve pointed out is something we'll see over and over again in the epistles. They like to cram a lot of things into one sentence. But let me summarize all of this, these last two Verses, practical sanctification. Does that help? <laughs> maybe it helps some of us, maybe it doesn't help all of us. Let me break it down a little bit further. We are sanctified in a moment of trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. By placing our faith and trust in Christ, in a moment, God declares us righteous, he calls us just, when he looks at us, he no longer sees who we were. Instead, he sees his son. When God looks at us, in the moment we trust Christ as Savior, he sees us as just, righteous, perfected, forgiven of sin, his child, an heir. He no longer sees Josh Fillmore stuck in his sin he sees Josh covered by the blood of Jesus. In a moment, that's positional sanctification and it's instant. The moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your savior. But practical sanctification is becoming more like Jesus on a daily basis here and now. Becoming more set apart from the world and more set apart unto Jesus. Walking like Jesus talking like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, acting like Jesus here and now, that's practical sanctification. And it's gradual. It's a process. Think about it this way. When you came to God through faith in Jesus, did all of those bad habits that you had before coming to Jesus, did they just suddenly disappear? Maybe miraculously some of them, praise God, but a lot of them kind of lingered, didn't they? And maybe you still catch yourself slandering someone, or maybe you still catch yourself muttering a word under your breath as you pull the snowblower out this morning and find out it won't start. Or maybe you catch yourself lusting after somebody who's attractive. Maybe some of these bad, sinful habits have continued on after you've come to Jesus. It's a gradual process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus on a daily basis. Does that make sense? Are we together at this point? All up to speed? 
practical sanctification, closing the gap between where we are and where God calls us to be. Jesus is the perfect example. That's why the early church were called Christians, little Christs, because they were following the way. They were following Jesus. They were becoming more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. Peter lists two things that God granted us, and I pointed them out. Power and promises. Salvation is only through God's power, not our own, and through God's promises. Throughout scripture, we see God's power, don't we? We see God split the Red Sea and the walk through on dry land. We see God conquer the giant. We see God close the mouths of the lions. We see God take care of armies. We see God hold the sun in his hand. We see God's power throughout scripture, and we see his promises. Now, you can trust the promise because of the power. You can trust God's promises because he has the power to fulfill them. Skip Heitzig, who's a pastor down in New Mexico, he put it this way, think about writing a check. I could pull my checkbook out, which I don't do very often. Not many people write checks these days. Have you realized that? I pull my checkbook out. I could write you a check for a million dollars. I could do that. One, zero, 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 zero. And I could hand that to you. You could take that check to the bank and it would bounce like a basketball, right? Because I don't have the resources to supply the promise. I don't have the power behind the promise. God can write you a check because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The check is the promise. The money in the bank is the power. God has both. He has the power, he makes the promise. Salvation is because of God, through God, through his power, through his promise. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, we can't achieve it. Salvation is only through God. He's done all the work for his glory, for his excellence, and he's inviting us to partake of his very nature. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with. Now, let me just ask this. Does that sound contradictory to you at all? Based on what I just said? Salvation is a work of God. He accomplished all of it through his power, his promises. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And then Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. I, I thought, forgive me, but I, I always thought that salvation was through grace by faith. By grace through faith. Through faith alone in Christ alone. What is Peter saying? Why is he telling us to put all of this effort into adding to our faith? What can you add to faith? Faith in itself is a gift from God. In salvation, which in itself is a gift from God, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but now Peter is telling us to put every effort into adding, to supplementing our faith with. How are we to understand that? Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God that no one should boast, 
not of works, so that no one can brag. Salvation is a work of God. But sanctification calls us to work out what God has worked in. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love that. How many, new, how many people have set a New Year's resolution to work out, right? Laura, Laura mentioned it there at the start. She's a fitness instructor. She's going to see a ton of people in the month of January, and then she probably won't see them again all year. But they've made the resolution to work out. God is calling us to work out what he has worked in. God accomplishes salvation, and then that salvation should flow out. What's in you will come out of you. It's like when the pressure's on, it's like a tube of toothpaste. You get squeezed, and what's on the inside comes out. Well, if God has worked salvation in, it should work itself out. Should it not? It should be evident in your life. James says that faith without works is dead. When your faith gets squeezed, out should come the appropriate corresponding works. A godly life. We are to work out what God has worked in. Romans chapter 6, that we like Jesus should walk in newness of life. We should walk the life that Jesus has placed within us through faith in him. Make every effort. You know, that same term, making every effort, speed, haste, diligence, it's the same term that's used when the shepherds went with haste to find Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's enthusiasm, it's excitement, it's wanting to run and to pursue. That's the picture. This year, I want to be more like Jesus. I think that's how we should fill in the blank. I think that covers all the bases. This year, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to pursue Jesus. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Now that term supplement, I, I think most of us probably take supplements, whether it's vitamins in the morning or fish oil or medications that your body needs, protein powder, I don't know what it is, but most of us take something extra on top of our diet to supplement our diet. But it kind of loses its meaning if you only see it with that definition. The term supplement in this context, to this crowd, in this day and age, in Greek culture, it would have meant that if somebody was composing music for the Greek theater or, or a playwright had created a play and they wanted it acted out in the theater, then they would seek investment from somebody wealthy, kind of like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank. They would seek for an investment from somebody wealthy to fund their project, to, to fund their composure, to fund their play. And this person, this wealthy, noble person who had the money, had the finances, if they were interested, if they, they would invest into the play into the composition of music, not, not because they could write the play, not because they could act out the play, not because they could play all the instruments and perform all of the composure of music, but they would invest in and trust the playwright or the composer to see that it would happen. 
to work out what they've already created. That's the picture, supplementing your faith, investing in the life that Jesus has granted to you, that Jesus died to bring to you, investing in it, financially backing. Now, I don't want you to get confused here, and I want to make this very clear. I don't want to get sanctification and salvation swapped because so many people have gotten the message that the church wants you to clean up your life before you can come to Jesus. Get everything figured out, and then you can come to church, be accepted. That's not how it works. Salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is accomplished by God. You, you can't work your way down that line to get to Jesus, so he came to be with us, to die for us. That's the message of Christmas that we just celebrated. We can't get to him, so he came to us. That's salvation, and we receive it by faith. But sanctification is working out what he's worked in, daily becoming more like Jesus. And in 2021, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to get to 2022 and say, this year, in these areas, I became more like Jesus. So, let's talk about those areas. Peter does something that, that I absolutely love. He makes a list. Anybody else make lists? If you're a list person, you're watching online, put it in the chat. Because I want to send you a little list of appreciation. Because I'm a list person. So, he makes a list. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, we get into this list. The first item on the list is faith. Now, I want to make a little measuring tool here so we can kind of gauge where we're at in this process of sanctification. And I was having a little conversation with Peggy before the service, and we were talking about how we tend to be our own worst critics, don't we? We look at something like this and put ourselves way down here. It's important to see that, that growth is gradual, isn't it? Did, did anybody have one of those height charts growing up? Like your mom or your dad would put you against the door frame going into the kitchen and mark your height along the trim on the door and, and write your name and date next to it. Do you realize that year after year, there, it was just a little bit of growth, wasn't it? I don't know, maybe in middle school you had a big year and it was like three, maybe four inches of growth. Wow. But if you just look at it on day to day, it's so small, isn't it? I remember being in school and just wanting to be the tallest in the class. I usually was. But watching the growth was really slow. Really slow. And then when my growth spurt was done, guess what? Everybody else in the class either gained my height or passed it, believe it or not. I was second to shortest guy in my high school class. But that growth is gradual. It's gradual. It takes time. But the first thing in the list is faith. And I think that's really appropriate. This is a progressive list. It builds on one another. The Greek language is in or upon. It's like building blocks or it's like those, uh, what do you call them, Russian stacking dolls that sit inside one another. It's progressive. It builds. They stack inside or upon. So the first is faith. Everything hinges on faith. We access salvation through faith, by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2. It all begins with faith, and Peter begins his list with faith, trust, confidence, 
faithfulness. That's where the journey begins. That's the first step. Now, maybe your New Year's resolution was to come to church. Maybe you're watching at home, and this is your first Sunday participating in our church service. Maybe you realize, look, I haven't even started on this journey. Faith is the first step. Faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died to pay for our sin, and then he rose from the grave to give us new life, to give us a relationship with God the Father. This is the journey that we're talking about. Our motto is to share the journey. And I want to invite you, if this is a moment for you where you realize that you need to start the journey, it starts with faith. It's your decision, your trust in Jesus Christ. We all have our faith and trust in something. Now, the next on the list, these build on top of one another, is virtue. Virtue, a word that maybe we don't use a lot these days. It's integrity. It's moral goodness. Doing what you know to be right. Doing what you were designed to do. If you bought a piece of equipment and it didn't perform the function that you bought it to perform and to provide, if it didn't perform the service, you would say that this thing is compromised. It's not doing what it was intended to do. Well, that's virtue. Doing what you were intended to do. Doing what you know to be right. Refusing to compromise. Being who you say you are. You know, a lot of people live with compromise in their life. They say one thing and they present a certain persona, but then they actually do another. Compromise. Don't compromise on your virtues, your moral integrity. The next is knowledge. This would tie in really well with our our core value of truth in our discipleship model. The journey starts with faith, virtue, and then knowledge. And I love this term, knowledge. It's not just academia. It's not just theory. It's not just a list of facts. The Greek word carries with it the idea that it's experiential knowledge gained by a close relationship. How does that sound as a definition for discipleship? A close relationship with Jesus, gaining knowledge about Jesus, learning about Jesus, a relationship, community with Jesus. You know, it'd be, be, well, I was going to say hilarious, but it would be sad to say, I I know my wife really well, because we're married, we're in a relationship. But then if you were to ask me questions and I didn't know the answer to any of the questions, and I had to admit, well, actually, I'd, I don't spend a lot of time with her, so. But you know what I'm saying? I was talking to somebody last year who told me, you know what? God feels so real to me right now. I, I've never, I've, I just feel like I know him better than I did before. And I said, okay, that's great. What, what are you reading in his word? What is, what is God telling you in his word? Oh, well, I haven't read the Bible in a long time. What? Well, <laughs> Well, how can you be getting to know Jesus more if you're not spending time listening to his words? If you're not spending time in conversation with him, if you're not spending time with Jesus, how are you getting to know Jesus more? Knowledge, an experiential knowledge because of a close relationship. The next on the list is (laughs) self-control. Doesn't that sum up most New Year's resolutions? Self-control right there. I think my self-control for sweets and snacks went out the window over the last few weeks. Self-control, mastery, restraint, continence. 
I like this one, Dominion Within. My great-grandparents lived on Dominion Street in Truro, right close to, close to you guys. Dominion, dominion within. Who's on the throne of your heart? Who gets to make the calls in your life? If you look at Galatians chapter 5, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit, spirit control is probably more likely what we should say. Spirit control, self-control. Who controls the desires of your heart? Don't you like that saying? Just do what your heart tells you to do. What's your heart telling you to do? The Bible says the heart is deceitful, wicked, beyond cure. Who can know it? Or how about this one? Just, just do what feels right. What would the world be like if we all just did what, what felt right or, or what felt good? Self-control. Who's in control? Who's the leader? And then here's where you can see some progression right here. You have faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, who's in control of your life, and then steadfastness. Who stays in control of your life? It literally means to follow behind. To follow behind. Isn't that discipleship? We allow Jesus, we allow the Spirit, we allow God to have control in our life, and then we choose as he allows gives us the earnestness to remain behind his leadership. We follow his leadership and his control. We remain under his authority. We remain behind him as leader. Steadfastness. So it all begins with faith. We allow God to control our lives as we learn about him, as we give him control, as we remain behind his leadership. And then the focus turns to love with godliness, reverence, admiration, affection, praise for God. It's literally, if you could act out the phrase, well done. We, we turn to God and we said, well done. That's praise, that's worship, that's admiration for who God is. It's a deep reverence, godliness. And then, brotherly affection, love for God, godliness, but then a love for each other, brotherly affection. The Greek term here is Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, brotherly love, familial love, love between friends. This is a picture of the community we are to have as the body of Christ. Love for one another, kindness. And then it takes a step further with love. The term here is agape love. It's the unconditional divine love that God shows to the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Loved, agape, unconditional, divine love for the world. So we're to love God. We're to love each other as the church, the bride of Christ. And then we're to unconditionally love the world as God loved the world. Do you see the progression here? It starts with faith, working in our own lives, and then setting our sights on God, each other, and the world. It starts with a personal decision, and it ends with evangelism, discipleship, sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. 
Now, what does this list look like in your life? After 2020, beginning 2021, when you look at these words, when you think in your own life, trying not to be your own worst critic, where would you see yourself between where you are and and where God calls you to be based on this list from 2 Peter? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to wrap this up. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, increasing, increase, that speaks growth to me, doesn't it? If you're increasing and you're growing, you're not stagnant, you're not staying, you're not floating downstream, you're increasing, you're moving forward. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, that means nobody's arrived, (laughs) nobody can retire from sanctification, from discipleship. There are no perfect Christians. We're all increasing. We're all progressing along this picture of sanctification. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective or unfruitful. The reason that we follow this sanctification process, the reason that we become more and more like Jesus Christ is because there's an effect. Is because there is fruit for the glory of God. I ran into an old friend that I hadn't seen in probably a decade over the Christmas uh, holidays. And uh, we had been good friends. We spent a lot of time together. And we had a really brief chat. It was almost kind of awkward because I didn't know that I was going to see him. He probably didn't know he was going to see me. We hadn't chatted in like a decade. And what do you say after all that time? And as we had this really brief conversation, I just thought, he's different. He's different than how I remember. Talks differently, looks differently. He's got different interests, different hobbies. We've kind of drifted apart and we're kind of, we're both different, I guess. It got me thinking after a decade, seeing how much of a difference there was in him, how much of a difference did he see in me? Do I talk differently? Do I look different? Do Do I have different interests and hobbies? Do I have a different life direction? Growth is gradual, isn't it? And you don't often see the change day by day. You've heard the saying, maybe you've thought about it a lot in 2020, the days are long, but the years are short. You look back over 10 years, what has the progression been in your life? I was going to say progress, but maybe it hasn't been progress. How, How different do you look now than you did, say, a decade ago? What does this sanctification process look like in your life? Maybe you don't see it day-to-day, month-to-month, but are you keeping track over the years? You know, I I often think about this with our kids and parenting. I couldn't imagine being a parent to my children the age and stage they are now when I was in my early 20s. (laughs) I, I wouldn't have had what I need back then mentally, emotionally, to deal with what we're dealing with now. And I'm going to say that in another 10 years down the road. Now, ineffective or unfruitful? Gross terms. Gross terms. Scary terms. Lazy, idle, thoughtless, unprofitable, or even worse, busy, distracted, anxious, 
Have you ever worked with somebody who's busy, but they never seem to accomplish anything? Like I've worked a number of different summer jobs and I remember watching employees who weren't there to accomplish a job, they were there to run out a clock. <laughs> and it's infuriating. It's infuriating for the coworker, but I can't imagine how infuriating it would be for the employer. Just there to run out the clock. Lazy, idle, unprofitable, ineffective, not accomplishing anything. Maybe this morning you were trying to get out of the driveway. Maybe that snowplow went by you, that big pile of snow. You get your car on top of it, and you, you can burn a whole tank of gas, spin your wheels, and get nowhere. Can't you? Ineffective, unproductive. Have you ever... Uh, let me jump here. I know we're running out of time. I really want to be effective. I, I want to be fruitful. I want to accomplish something with my life. And I, I don't want to succeed at the things that don't matter. I want to get to 2022 and look back and say, look at the progress. Look at what has actually been accomplished. I want to become more like Jesus in 2021. This year, I want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to care so much about how much money's in the bank at the end of the year or in the RSP. I don't want to care so much about where the project list is at at the end of the year. I don't want to care about the social media followers or whatever is on your list. I want to be more like Jesus this year. And I'm saying that, I'm declaring it because I want to believe that. I want that to be my desire. A lot of days it's not. A lot of days I fill that blank with something else. This year, if I could just be more. But I don't want to get to the end and find that it was ineffective or unfruitful, that it didn't accomplish anything, that there was no profit because of it. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities. Now, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, it'll keep you from being infruitful or ineffective. But if you lack these qualities... You will be so nearsighted that you're blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. How quickly we forget, don't we? Nearsighted. Have you ever gotten out in the car? Maybe we haven't had a lot of days like this yet, but the windshield's all icy. And you, you pull out the scraper, or maybe you forgot the scraper, maybe you're at the mall and you're trying to get home, or you worked your job all day and you come out to your car and it's frozen and you don't have the scraper, so you try. I've tried to do it with my fingernails before. Have you ever done that? Or maybe pull a credit card out from your wallet and you're scraping with your, you know, your, your Momentum Visa or whatever. You're scraping in the windshield. Do you ever decide, like, that's good enough? And then you try and drive home. This is against the law, by the way. If, you're, if your view, if your vehicle is obstructed by ice and snow, the police can pull you over and fine you. It's dangerous. But have you ever driven like this, looking, looking out that little opening in the windshield? You've got the defrost on full, the heat on full, and you just think you can see enough, and your wipers are just going like mad, and they're not doing anything because it's on top of the ice, and you can just faintly see the cars on Roby Street as you're trying to get home and you're dodging traffic, you know? How ridiculous. I mean, we've probably all done it, but imagine living your life that way, having no vision, no direction, no purpose, just faintly seeing the shadows directly in front of you, being so nearsighted. You don't know where you're going. You don't know 
who's coming around the corner or what's coming past the stop sign. You're just trying to see what's directly in front of you. What a sad way to live life. But how many of us live that way? So nearsighted. We forget that that God has cleansed us from our sin. That God forgave us in the past. That God has forgiven the present. That God has already forgiven and cleansed the future. And he calls us to walk in newness of life. And to be pursuing Jesus in everyday life. But if we, if we refrain from exercising these qualities, if we just kind of decide whatever feels right or whatever feels good in the moment or whatever's going to serve me, we're so nearsighted that we're blind. We can't see where we're going. We don't know what direction we're going to end up. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 as we close. Therefore, because of everything we've just discussed, therefore, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Do you want to know if you truly have faith? If you're truly saved? James says, faith without works is dead. Confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what a scary thought is? You know that part in the New Testament where it says that some will be saved as if through fire? I want there to be richly provided for me an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. I don't want to just slip through. Maybe the question for you today is, are you just holding on to that ticket to heaven? And you're just sitting in the terminal waiting for your flight waiting for your seat to be called. Jesus, I've got my ticket. I've had it since the 90s when I gave you my life. I've had it tucked here safe in my pocket. Now I'm just waiting for them to board um, sitting zone three, whatever it is. It's been so long since anybody's flown. I think we've all forgotten what that process is like. But are you just going to spend your life sitting in the terminal, holding on to your ticket, waiting to be called? Or are we going to pursue God here and now? Are we going to live the kingdom life here and now. I'm going to end in there. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. God, thank you for providing salvation for us through your promises, through your power. God, we praise you this morning because of who you are. God, help us to always be pursuing you in our daily lives. Help us not to be content with just a ticket to heaven, but help us to Pursue you for your glory. God, help us to add to faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control endurance. God, help us to add to endurance godliness and brotherly affection. God, help us to show your love to the world because we're pursuing you in everyday life. Because we know that they're watching. They're looking to see if what we say is what we truly believe. If we're going to act On what we say, God, help us to walk the walk, to walk the talk. God, thank you for who you are today. Thank you for our salvation, for our sanctification, for our justification. Thank you that when you look on us, you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.